Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about a bunch of famous pirates that were uh, cutting about at the end of the end of the golden age of piracy. You might have already heard of these people: uh, Calico Jack, a pirate captain who ended up sailing alongside the famous Anne Bonny and Mary Reedon. These stories have uh, gone on to be, uh, well, very, very bloody strongly influenced the popular cultural conception we have of Pirates Day, amongst many, many other people, Blackbeard and uh, and Bartholomew Roberts and everyone else. And we'll, we'll talk about them just a little bit throughout the episode, but we're going to focus on these three here because these three, I'll tell you what, i tell you what, a power trio they were. They sailed together in the Caribbean, going around, plundering merchant ships, attacking other pirates, and generally just having a, a, a great bloody time living the high life of piracy there. Bonnie and Reed spent much of their uh, much of the time pretending to be men, dressing up in men's clothes and burping and farting and forgetting to take out the bins and all that sort of stuff. But uh, even after you know they've gone on this rampage around uh, around Jamaica and Cuba and uh, and wherever else uh, wherever else throughout these years, all good things, of course, must come to an end. And uh, after a time, their piracy uh, finally caught up with them, as we'll talk about. But for now, however, let's get underway with uh, with how things uh, things kicked off for these three. And then we'll talk about how their lives eventually sort of became intertwined uh, later on. So we'll start things here with Anne Bonny, who is the youngest of the three of them. She was born in County Cork in Ireland, although we're not 100% sure when. The best guess we can say for now is, is around 1697, might have been a bit later, around 1700. But the point is, we're not 100% sure, but again, around the turn of the century. So... The story goes that her dad, lawyer, named William Cormack, Irish fella, he had a bit of a fling with one of his servants, Mary Brennan, and uh, and Bonnie was the result of this uh, of this liaison here. So now, obviously, Cormack's misses. He's not too she's not too thrilled with this, not too happy with uh, with what's gone on there, and uh, she throws him out in his ass along with Brennan, along with the servant uh, that he'd had the, the the affair with. They're out, they're out in there and they're ass there like that, no good. So uh, Cormack packs up his bags, he moves away, he takes both Brennan and young Anne Bonnie to London to start a new here after you know having sort of stuffed things up back at home in Ireland. Now for some reason Cormac starts to dress his daughter as a boy and calls her Andy instead of Anne and starts to train her as a legal clerk. But eventually this comes to an end because Cormac's old missus finds out about the illegitimate child. He'd managed to hide it, you know, after the affair, he'd managed to hide the fact that he'd got Brennan pregnant. But uh, ultimately, the missus or the ex-missus now finds out a bit about the illegitimate child. And I'll tell you what, if she was cross before, now she's bloody hopping mad. So she cuts Cormac off from the allowance she'd been giving him, which was pretty bloody nice for her in the first place. I don't know what was going on there. And uh, so he's in a bit of trouble now. Does a bit of trouble. Doesn't have as much cheddar coming in. So he goes, bugger this. I've had enough of this nonsense over here on on this side of the Atlantic. He uh, he heads off to the New World to seek his fortune there. He puts, decides that putting the Atlantic Ocean between himself and his ex-wife is a, a good idea, seeing as, you know, how, just how badly he'd stuffed everything up. So he packs up Brenny, packs up young Anne Bonny, and uh, and they head over together to the province of Carolina. This is obviously before the American Revolutionary War. Um, and the three of them, they they try to set up shop, but again, things don't go very smoothly. Unfortunately, Cormac just can't catch a break. He has to put in a, a fair bit of hard yakka to, to, uh, to finally get them started there. But uh, ultimately, his mercantile skill and his knowledge of the law as a, you know, as a lawyer eventually set them up nice place just outside Charleston in, in modern-day South Carolina there. He gets all plantation going. He's having a good time there as, as a wealthy landowner. 
But uh, unfortunately, that's not the end of his trouble because uh, it doesn't go doesn't go too well after this. Because when uh, when his daughter Bonnie, when Bonnie is just twelve years old, her poor old mum dies. Right, this servant, uh, this you know the, the the servant that he had an affair with, Cormac had an affair with years ago. Uh, she 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 dies, uh, leaving uh, young Anne with uh, just her increasingly rich dad, who, as I say, is, is doing pretty well for himself uh, in the old uh, you know when it comes to the old hip pocket there. But Bonnie, after her mum dies, goes off the rails a fair bit, stirring up tra- trouble and uh, generally being just a bit of a loose cannon. Eh? She, uh, there's a story about her actually, uh, she once stabbed another girl with a knife at the age of just 13. So uh, if that's true, it seems like Bonnie really didn't muck around and it certainly bears out with what you're going to find out about her in, as, a, as, a, as an adult, you know, as a grown woman. Anyway, she grows up. She takes a bit of a fancy to this bloke named James Bonnie. Now, old mate James, a bit of a ne'er do well, and uh, Cormac wasn't a fan of him at all. Fair enough, really, because James was known as a you know small time pirate, not the sort of uh, not the sort of person you want your idiot kid to start dating here. But all the same, you know, it's just sort of like the same today. The boyfriend turns up in the leather jacket on the motorbike, and uh, off the daughter goes with him. Can't do anything about it because. Uh, Bonnie bloody loved the bloke. Bloody couldn't get enough of him and determined to marry him. Get stuff, Dad. It's not a phase. I'm loving, you know, I love him, whatever else like that. And uh, obviously Cormac's not too happy about this. And what he does, he disowns her. He just boots her out, disowns her. And that doesn't go that, that doesn't go the way that James, the uh, you know, this young pirate wanted things to go. Because for his part, he was very keen to marry Bonnie because of how rich the dad was, right? He saw Bonnie as a way to snag a lot of cash very, very easily. But obviously, you know, this backfires because after they're married, as I say, Cormac boots out his daughter on her ass like that, disowns her and and that's it, you know, no access to any of the family money. So without too many other options, Bonnie and her new husband, they sailed to Nassau in the modern-day Bahamas, which at the time was a bit of a pirate haven. And uh, that's where she stayed, uh, along with, you know, this this husband of hers, James, uh, all the way through to 1719. Well, And, and we're going to leave Bonnie there for the time being, hang out in Nassau for the time being, we'll leave her there, and head all the way back now to 1685, which is when Mary Reed was born. So she's a bit older. Reed was English. And uh, apart from that, we actually don't know too much about her, uh, about the details of her early childhood, except for one other detail here. We do know that just like Anne Bonny, she was born out of wedlock, so she's illegitimate. Uh, the story is a little bit this, t- a little bit different this time around when it comes to what is going on with Mary Reed rather than Anne Bonny, because uh, what happened here before, uh, before she had young Mary, Reed's mum married a sailor and had a son with him. But uh, the husband never returned from a, a sea voyage, right? He was a sailor. He goes off one day and he, and he never comes back. Now, Reed's mum and, and the young son here, they're supported by the in-laws. So the, the, the grandmother, her, her paternal grandmother, basically, the, the grandmother of the son she's had, her, her mother-in-law. Supported by their monthly allowance, whatever else, keeping her uh, keeping her in bread. So uh, she's doing her best to look after her young, her young boy there like that. But all the same, she gets involved. She uh, she has she has a little bit of a liaison, a bit of an affair. Well, is it, I don't know if it, if it counts as an affair or not because her husband's lost, sort of lost at sea or whatever. Or may have just abandoned them. It's not 100% sure what happened to him. Anyway, she gets involved with this other bloke and becomes pregnant once again. And this time, obviously, she she's pregnant with Mary Reed. So she's pregnant with uh, with uh, the, the you know the second uh, second hero of our, of our tale here. Now, unfortunately, the young son, Reed's half-brother, dies around time around the same time that Reed is born. And her mum, not wanting to be cut off by the in-laws, by, you know, the mother-in-law there, she starts to pretend that Mary Reed is the son, the, the, her half-brother, basically, the one who had died. So this means that Reed was essentially raised as a boy, but the trick worked. You know, she was dressed as a boy and she wore all that sort of stuff. She's referred to as this young, this, uh, this young uh, kid who, you know, tragically died. And Reed and her mum were able to live off the in-laws well into her teenage years. There, she's having a great time getting these, you know, get this money coming through to support this, you know, supposed <laughs> supposed granddaughter there of this uh, of this rich mother-in-law. Anyway, 
as a teenager, Reed, uh, she picked up work uh, first as, as a footman, but she didn't like that. You know, just wasn't, wasn't, a, wasn't a fan of it. it too, you know, too hard. I wasn't a fan of going around doing whatever else. You know, foot, I'd actually, I'm covering my ignorance here. I don't know what footmen do. Don't footmen do something to do with horses? I don't know. Servants of some kind. I've got no idea. Anyway. She gets. She doesn't have that. Not for her. She's not bloody waste of time. This one, and she heads. She, instead, she she heads to the sea. She becomes a sailor. Uh, once again, uh, she's living basically as a bloke. She's dressing in men's clothes with you know perhaps a uh, strategically placed sock to support the ruse there. And uh, she joins the military. Joins the British military around the turn of the century, uh, fighting in conflicts like the uh, the Nine Years' War or the the War of Spanish. I should say the English military. I guess if it was before seventeen oh one. Anyway, English slash British slash British mystery. She's getting it done for king and country. And uh, she's fighting, you know, say, Nine Years' War, War of Spanish, Spanish Succession, all, all of these conflicts that are going on at the time. And she is a bloody great soldier. She's a terrific soldier. She's fighting like a demon, generally doing very bloody well for herself. And she gets a reputation for being brave to the point of stupidity, brave to the point of foolishness, really, uh, volunteering to fight in any battle that she possibly can. But while she's fighting like this, while she's fighting for the uh, the British or the English and their, and their Dutch allies, she meets a Flemish soldier and becomes pretty bloody fond of him. I'll tell you this. She's worried about revealing herself uh, as a woman while fighting in the army. Obviously, you could boot it out for that. Uh, but she eventually manages to secretly tell the truth to this bloke that she's got the hots for. And now, he's very into this whole situation. And you can imagine the two of them sharing a battle, you know, sharing a tent on the battlefield and having a great time together like that. But before long, they both decide that they've had enough. They've had enough of quit. They've had enough of, of the soldiering life. They decide to quit the army, and they get discharged and then marry. Now, this causes obviously a very big stir amongst all of the people they've been fighting with. All of a sudden, they realise, oh, they've been fighting with this woman the whole time. Had no idea, and now that you know, two of these soldiers getting married, completely unheard of at the time. So it was a big, big celebration. People thought it was very funny indeed, and they shower them with gifts and presents and money and all that sort of stuff on top of the you know on top of the pay that they'd made from uh, from their soldiering. So. The whole thing means they've done pretty well for themselves. They've got a lot of cash in the bank here while, uh, you know, as a result of their, their career as soldiers. And, and between the two of them, they've got enough to buy an inn. They buy this little inn called the Three Horseshoes near a Dutch town called Breeder. Now, the two of them are having a great time. It is just, you know, married, marital bliss here, the two of them living together, running this inn, having a, having a terrific time. Uh, and they do this for a good little while. But unfortunately, it's not to last. Unfortunately, Reed's husband died, very sadly. And all of a sudden, she's not that into the idea of, of running the inn without him. So after having, after having lost her husband in this way, she sells up and she goes back to living as a bloke. She chucks away all her dresses, pop, pops back the old breeches on there, gets the sock out of the drawer. And, uh, and tries to go back to soldiering. But it's peacetime now in Holland. And so there's no opportunity for advancement or battles or anything really as a soldier. There's a lot of standing around. And she's not really, you know, not, not, not very into it. Her hunger for adventure is not sated by this return to the military. So as a result, she quits the army once again for a second time. And this time she gets on a ship bound for the West Indies. And this ship is consequently captured by pirates. And Reed is ecstatic about this because they offer anyone in this captured ship the opportunity to join this, uh, you know, this this new this crew of pirates. And she jumps at the chance. She willingly joins up with this pirate crew, still disguised as a bloke, and has a great time sailing the high seas as a pirate all the way through to 1719. Now, we'll leave Reed there for the time being as she rollicks around the Caribbean living the life of a pirate. And instead, we'll turn our attention to a bloke whose name was John Rackham, although uh, you probably better know him as Calico Jack. So Rackham was born in 1682, 
And I'll tell you what, if the details were scant for Mary Reed's childhood, they're non-existent for Rackham. We don't know anything about this bloke before the year 1718, basically. We know he's born in England, but apart from that, got no idea what this bloke got up to. Uh, he first crops up to, say, 1718 as the quartermaster for a famous pirate called Charles Vane. Now, Rackham, he's going around with Vane. Vane is known for being a real nasty piece of work. He's torturing and murdering captives and, and just really just been a, been a real real mean bastard, having all sorts of adventures on this ship. A lot of wild stories about Charles Vane, as you can imagine, with a reputation like this. For example, my favourite one from, uh, from from what happened with Charles Vane, um, at one point, he was trapped in a harbour, right? He was blocked off by a fleet of ships uh, commanded by an English governor named Woods Rogers, and we'll talk about him uh, in much greater detail later on. Now, he's blocked off in this harbour. His ship's too big to get out and escape a different way, and so basically the mouth of the harbour is being blockaded. He's got nowhere to go, and he's got no way out. So what does he do? He sets fire to his own ship. He gets all the crew off, he sets fire to his own ship and he sails it towards, as, as a fire ship basically, sails it towards the English fleet, forcing all the English fleet, uh, ships to scatter there. He then steals another smaller ship and he sails out through the chaos out into the open waters. Now, Vane's days as a captain, even after, you know, exploits and, uh, and adventures like this, his he's, he's, he's days as captain, they come to an end in late 1718. He's sailing along with a crew, including Rackham, when they spot a juicy-looking frigate on the horizon, right for the attack, a lovely prize there for the pirates to get involved with. So they raise the Jolly Roger, but, oh no, the frigate turns out to be a French man of war, and it starts firing on them. Now, Vane, uh, to the protest of the rest of the crew, they want to get stuck in. They've got, you know, the swords between the teeth. They want to go there and, uh, and crack some skulls, but no, no, no. Vane, he orders the retreat. Rackham is yelling at him to turn around and meet the French, you know, meet the French in battle, go and give it to him. Uh, talking about the riches and the booty and the plunder they're going to be able to get from it. But Vane won't change his mind, however. And so the ship is, his ship escapes, despite his crew being keen as anything to get in. So he is stuck in. And he gets so he gets away from this French man of war, but he pays a pretty high price for it because what happens here is that Rackham challenges Vane for a, in a vote for the captaincy of the ship. And this is how these sorts of things were were done back in the back in what I call the uh, the golden age of piracy. And maybe this is a good this is a good point here to actually pause the story uh, quickly and and talk about 18th century piracy more generally because it's pretty bloody interesting. It really is. The, you know, the piracy that happened at the end of the 17th into the 18th century here. I talked about it being referred to as the Golden Age. The Golden Age of Piracy refers to the years between uh, the 1650s and the 1720s, and, it, and it's sort of broken into three very distinct divisions. So the first, firstly, uh, there's what's called the Buccaneering period between, the, uh, between 1650 and 1680, which was mainly French and English privateers attacking Spanish ships and Spanish colonies in the Caribbean. So you've all, you, know, you, you would have heard of uh, people sailing under letters of mark and, uh, as privateers, so basically state-sponsored pirates at this stage. Secondly, after this, there was the pirate round period. Now, the pirate round was a was a, a route that pirate ships would take that, that led all the way from the Atlantic round the Cape of Good Hope through uh, through the bottom of, uh, of of southern Africa around Madagascar, and these ships would do great big laps of the uh, of the seas there of the Atlantic and the Indian Oceans, and uh, and bring home as much plunder as they could have a great time doing that. And uh, again, that was around the turn of the century. But the third period, and perhaps the most famous period, was after the War of the Spanish, Spanish Succession. And this is the period we're talking about now. This is the period after the uh, after the turn of the century into, you know, the 1710s, 1720s. Um, this period emerged, this, you know, huge number of pirates emerged in this period due to the number of unemployed sailors once the war had finished. Having no other options, these these sailors, you know, they've been trained for, for, for naval battle in the military, whatever else like that. They had nothing to do. 
They had nothing to do at all. They, so they, they turned to piracy, essentially. Many famous pirates basing themselves there in the Caribbean amongst all of these new uh, new European colonies and having a great time. Now there's no wars to fight. They just go and plunder and pillage and, uh, and, and enjoy themselves. Now, it was a golden age for many reasons. There were heaps of ships sailing across the Atlantic with very valuable cargo. And, and the pirates, of course, remember, they're all very experienced, trained combat veterans. And so they're very good at their jobs, very good at, uh, at plundering opposing ships. But probably the biggest thing was just these European colonial powers doing a very, very bad job of fighting them off, doing a very bad job of curtailing their activities or actually having any kind of meaningful defense against what these pirates were trying to do. And so that, that, that's sort of why this this uh, this period in, in, in the golden age of piracy ended up having having such an impact, such a, such a legacy, such a cultural impact really is because of... Uh, I guess the way that these pirates, these figures, these mythical figures from history were romanticised. I said, you know, Blackbeard and, and Bartholomew Roberts and Calico Jack and all these other big names in pirates you've probably heard of. It all it all came out of this third this third distinct sort of division of the of, of the golden age of piracy there towards the end, the early early eighteenth century. Um, as I say, it has been pretty heavily romanticised over the years. A lot of the stereotypes, eye patches, and all that sort of stuff aren't really based in truth, but some stuff actually is pretty interesting. For example. Pirates uh, regularly wore, they did wear ostentatious jewellery, gold earrings, for example, that sort of stuff. And the reasons they did it were, were pretty legitimate. Well, some of them were anyway. Um, some, some of the, you know, the big hoop earrings that you sort of, you associate with a pirate, apparently they'd hang wax from these hoop earrings. And then they would be able, when they're firing the cannons, very very easily uh, able to transfer the wax sort of, you know, uh, sort of like a door knocker flip them up into the bits of wax up into their ears to block them from uh, from you know being damaged by uh, any uh, any loud bangs in the cannon while they're firing the cannons there some of the reasons sort of less believable they thought they were talismans that would protect you against seasickness and other nonsense like that but the coolest reason for them wearing all this jewelry especially the earrings right was that if you wore a gold earring and then fell overboard and drowned and then if your body would wash up on a shore somewhere, the earring that would be then presumably still be attached to your corpse would then pay for a proper uh, funeral and burial. So that was, And sometimes sailors or pirates would inscribe the name of their, their hometown or where they wanted to be buried on the inside of the earring. And then whoever found it would then, you know, could then take the earring, use it to pay for the, uh, pay for the burial or whatever else. So that was one of the reasons that, that, that pirates would often wear uh, jewellery-like earrings to, uh, to, pay, to pay for their potential funerals. Anyway. A lot of pirate ships, uh, another interesting thing about this, a lot of pirate ships were run as democracies, which is uh, well before the French Revolution, well before, you know, over, over 100 years before the French Revolution cropped up. But, you know, you've got even even as early as the Buccaneer period, you've got uh, some pretty progressive takes on governance uh, and, and leadership taking place on these pirate ships. On, on most, most of these ships, captains were voted in by the crew. Uh, and there was a great, an agreed upon pirate code that the crew, you know, these articles that, that pirates would sign uh, or, or be forced to sign as they joined a ship. Uh, in many cases, this is, I found this quite funny, in many cases, new pirate recruits were, were forced, in air quotes, forced to, uh, uh, to sign the, these articles uh, on the ship there so that they could then plausibly deny ever wanting to be pirates. So, you know, they'd be, they'd be forced to do it at the end of a cutlass, right? They'd, they'd sign it. They're like, despite wanting to, they'd, they'd go through all the rigmarole of pretending not to want to. So then if they were ever caught, they could say, oh, no, I was forced to do it at, you know, at sword point. I never really actually wanted to, wanted to sign those, uh, you know, sign those documents or whatever. So pretty clever there. You know, pretty, pretty clever way to give yourself plausible deniability. But the Pirates Code, they, you know, the, these things, they covered it, the, these rules, they covered everything from divvying up loot to compensation for pirates who lost a limb. So there's actually workers' comp here for, for pirates in the line of duty which I think is, is pretty cool. Anyway, 
I'll give you an example. Actually, I'll give you an example for uh, for what the first article in Captain Bartholomew Roberts' code was. It was uh, you know, it covered again, as I say, all sorts of things. But just to give you an idea of, of the sort of stuff that it covered, he, here's the first article in in the code for uh, for Captain Roberts. Here, it says this: <clears throat> Every man has a vote in affairs of moment has equal title to the fresh provisions or, or strong liquors at any time seized, and may use them at pleasure unless a scarcity, not an uncommon thing among them, makes it necessary for the good of all to vote a retrenchment. So you can see a pretty egalitarian kind of uh, way to, to run a ship, run a business there. And it's difficult to say with 100% certainty, certainty that all pirate ships are run like this, but it still doesn't, doesn't seem too bloody bad on the face of it. And uh, remember, this is in the 1600s, 1700s, when democratic government just wasn't really a thing. So it is, it is quite extraordinary. Anyway, this brings us back to Calico Jack Rackham, who, uh, again, has called Car- Charles Vane a coward for running uh, from the French man of war rather than attacking it. And as a result of this, he demands a new vote for the captaincy of the ship. And uh, surprise, surprise, Rackham wins it easily. He's got the crew on side. There are about 90 people on the ship, and only 15 of them vote for uh, for Vane after his you know, supposed cowardice in running away from this ship. And a lot of them big fans of Rackham who were saying, you know, go and get stuck in, go and, uh, go and crack some French skulls and take home some, some of that booty. So... Vane and his uh, 15 or so, so supporters, they are, they're kicked off the ship. They're given a smaller one to sail away, and they're given, you know, ammunition and, and, and supplies and all sorts of stuff. They're treated fairly enough, but now, Rackham. Rackham is the captain now. So, oh, by the way, I probably should mention this before I forget. Rackham was known as Calico Jack due to the fact that he used to wear a lot of calico. It's a very cool-sounding nickname, definitely. No one's debating that, but it doesn't have a very interesting backstory. There's no real cool story about why he was called Calico Jack. He just... Like to you like to wear a lot of calico. So, anyway, Rackham. After having taken this ship off of uh, off of Vane, he's now cutting about the Caribbean, attacking merchant ships here and there. Generally, doing a decent enough job as as you know, sort of mid level pirate. His his exploits weren't ever particularly you know the fantastical, uh, incredible, famous things that people like Blackbeard did. Blackbeard, if you don't know, Edward Teach or Edward Thatch. He's uh, a couple of different names he had. He used to light um, slow burning uh, like uh, I don't know what you call them. You know the sticks. Of, you know when sticks of dynamite have the have the slow burning wicks on them, like that sort of stuff. He used to light, put them under his hat and light them so smoke would billow out from underneath around his head so he looked like the bloody de- looked like a demon you know when he's stepping onto the uh, to ships that he was trying to board to try to terrify people so he was, he was really a character but Rackham just mid-level pirate going around doing you know doing piratey things stealing ships and uh, and loading up uh, the coffers full of uh, full of loot and booty there but uh, it was around this time this governor that I mentioned before, Woods Rogers, he had announced uh, he'd been sent specifically to the uh, to the Caribbean to try to curtail and curb the activities of all the pirates there. And it's at this time that a general amnesty for pirates is announced. Again, in attempting to bring down the amount of piracy, piracy in the region, uh, Woods Rogers says, "Listen, if you all turn yourselves in, we'll just we'll just wipe the slate clean. We'll call it a day and just just bloody stop, would you, blokes? You know, we don't have to worry about prison or punishment or anything. Just just stop, okay?" Now, a lot of pirates have decided to take advantage of this. They're calling it the King's Pardon, and a lot of them are sailing straight into harbours to try to t- turn themselves in and say, yes, look, I was a pirate, I'm not going to do it anymore. No, it's all right, I'll stop, right? Because a pretty good deal, honestly. You know, Otherwise, you're going to... You're gonna you know, dance the hemp and jig. You're gonna you're gonna get hanged for what you've done. And so a lot of them are saying, well, you know, I'll take the uh, I'll take the easy way out here and uh, and, and turn myself in if it's gonna uh, gonna wipe the slate clean. Now, one of the pirates who decides to do this is Rackham. He decides. May as well take advantage of it. It's free. We may as well just, uh, you know, hang up the uh, hang up the hook, hang up the hang up the eye patch, hang up all the other anachronistic uh, pirate uh, pirating stereotypes, and uh, and call it a day. But on the way back to Nassau, where he's going to hand himself into Rogers, there, there's time for one last adventure, and this is a good one. I like this story a lot. While supplying at a Cuban port here, 
Rackham's ship was spotted by a huge Spanish warship that was uh, was pulling into the port, accompanied by a little English sloop that the uh, that the uh, the Spanish had captured. Now this massive warship it can't reach Rackham's smaller ship while it was in the little port at low tide, so they park out they park up outside the harbour. The Spanish ship it can't you know can't get its way into these shallower waters, so it parks up and waits for the tide to come in, which will happen in the next morning, and uh, it's going to obviously bring uh, bring Rackham to account there, recognised him as a pirate. Now Rackham. He's in a fair bit of trouble here, and so he sits down, he has a good old think about things, and he comes up with a plan as how he's going to do it, because again, he's trapped in this harbour, he can't get past this Spanish warship. So, after night has fallen, he and his crew, they abandon their old ship, and they row out under the cover of darkness to this small English ship, the sloop, the prize that the, the Spanish ship had captured there. They sneak on board, they overpower all the Spanish guards on the sloop, and they take adv- they take complete control of it here, easy peasy, just like that. They capture it. And when day breaks, the tide has gone in, the Spanish warship can now reach Rackham's ship in port, right, and they start lighting up the guns. They are the Spanish, you know, Brilliant. Spanish captain says, light them up, boys, light them up, let's blast that pirate mongrel to, to kingdom come. So the Spanish guns, they start firing on Rackham's ship they tear it a bit it sinks to the bottom of the harbour but of course it's empty isn't it there's nothing there's no one on it Rackham in the meanwhile he's sailed away on the English sloop out of the you know at the back of Burke out of there to the hidden you know off to the bloody horizon hidden away from this <laughs> from this Spanish ship under their noses he's stolen the ship gone away and, and by the time the, the Spanish realise it's too late he's, uh, he's off, off on his way to Nassau uh, to, uh, to receive the king's pardon there and that's exactly what happens. Rackham, he rocks up in Nassau. He goes up to Governor Rogers and he says, listen here, mate, so bloody sorry about all the piracy, all that sort of stuff. Didn't even want to do it. Honestly, we were forced into it. Forced into it we were by uh, by that nasty Charles Vane. Now, Rogers, right, he's very ready to accept this story because he hates Charles Vane. He says, oh, mate, I've heard of him. Nasty piece of work he, he is. I'll tell you this. Well, boys, listen, if you didn't even ever want to be pirates and we were just for- you were just forced to do it, well... Come on, no worries, off you go. It's that bastard Vane who's the real troublemaker here. I'll take care of him, don't you worry about it. But you blokes, off you go. You know, go and go forth and, uh, and and be honest men once again. We'll wipe that slate clean, not a, not a problem. So just like that, Rackham and his crew, they are free men, honest men once again. They're, uh, they're, they're allowed to kick around in Nassau. But of course... Wasn't the last. Wasn't the last. The piracy, you know, you can. Uh, the piracy gets deep into the blood, and and, and these boys, they're, they're they're not finished. They haven't finished their campaigns as pirates just yet. Now, Rogers is doing everything he can to try to clean up the seas of, of these pirates. The governor there, he's, he's you know, he's done he's done a, a range. Of, not just the embassy, he's doing all sorts of other stuff to try to uh, to try to stop these pirates from uh, from cutting about. And one of the things that he's done is he has brought all of these other pirates into the fold as spies and informants. And one of these spies, one of these spies, if you believe it, is none other than John Bonney, Anne Bonney's husband. And so around 1718 and 1719, this bloke John Bonney, he's going around and dobbing blokes in, dobbing all of his pirates maiden left, right and centre. Now, our mate Anne, she is not a fan of this at all. She doesn't like what her husband is doing. You know, he's sneaking about, gathering information, then selling his pirate mates up the river to the governor here. So Bonnie, she decides she's had enough. She's had enough of this bloody snitch she's got for her husband. And so in 1719, she's kicking about in taverns with other pirates, having a great time, making all sorts of new friends. And wouldn't you know it, one of these new friends she makes is none other than the newly reformed Calico Jack Rackham. Now, Bonnie and Rackham, they become, well... Hmm. Rather more than friends, pretty quickly, it turns out. You know, they meet in a tavern one night and they kick it off and then they, uh, you know, get to know each other a little little more intimately uh, not too long after that. But unfortunately for them, they don't manage to keep this a secret from Bonnie's husband. 
and when this idiot finds out uh, about you know his uh, his wife's indiscretions there he cracks it he cracks it he goes straight to his mate governor rogers and he demands that bonnie be punished so Rogers orders that Bonnie be whipped for adultery, which is obviously a pretty bloody ordinary decision, especially when you, you know, you've got this snivelling snitch of a, of a bloke, uh, John, uh, John Bonnie, coming to him and saying, you know, complaining to him about whatever else. But Rackamy steps in and he offers to pay for a divorce between Bonnie and her husband to resolve the issue and, and, and you know, just, just, let, let, just have, make it all go away. Now, this idiot husband, he says, no, absolutely not. No bloody way. Not happening. I want her whipped. You know, I want her to, to pay the price, whatever else like this. And so he ends up, you know, getting a, a pretty bad deal when he could have just got a, a, you know, a nice fat divorce payout. Instead, what happens then? Rackham goes, all right, mate, have it your way. No worries. We are out of here. So Rackham's days as an honest man did not last very long. And I'll tell you this. He gets his crew back together. He steals a ship from the harbour. And he, along with Bonnie and the rest of the crew, they sail off and away from Nassau, Voiding his pardon, he's now a pirate once again on the high seas, but who cares? He's gone away, he's got his new mate Anne Bonnie by his side, he's going to have a great time tearing up the caravan once again as a fearsome pirate. So things going very well for him. Rackham, he goes back to attacking and looting merchant ships, but now he's also going after smaller pirate vessels too. He, uh, he's doing this for a good reason, as we'll talk about in just a sec, but uh, in the meantime, he's uh, he's having a great time. He's having a great time, as I say, and Bonnie's there as well. She's hiding the fact that she's a woman from the rest of the crew, but all the same, she and Rackham, oh, tell you what doesn't stop them, they are going at it. They're having a great time sailing and pillaging and f- finding new ways to have a good time living the the pirate life but uh, um, after capturing pirate ships the reason that uh, the reason he would uh, that Rackham would, would try to go after these these smaller time pirates there is because he would offer for them to join his crew and many of them did Rackham had a great thing going and many people wanted you know he's going around attacking you know merchants and fishing uh, fishermen and all sorts of people and bringing in a lot of money so the crew members that uh, of the ships that he captured they're well and truly well ready to uh, to join up and uh, and sign his articles and uh, and you know become become one of the uh, one of the one of Rackham's uh, one of Rackham's crew members there now one of the people who is 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 very ready to join the 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 crew of calico jack is none other than i'm sure you're going to guess who it is our old mate mary reed in around 1720 now you'll remember she became a pirate when her her ship over the west indies was captured by pirates and she joined their crew and she cut around for a couple of years as a pirate having a great time again disguised as a man the whole time but in, uh, in 1720, around 1720, right, we're not 100% sure exactly what, the, the, the instant, the, what happened during their first meeting between Rackham and Reed here. It may have been that Rackham had captured a ship that uh, captured the pirate ship that, that Mary was on, or they may have met, you know, on land somewhere and, and, and Reed decided to join the crew of Calico Jack. But however, it, however you know, whatever ended up bringing them together, we know that by 1720, Reed has joined Rackham and Bonnie and the rest of the crew aboard Rackham's ship. Now, at first, Reed, uh, she hid the fact that she was a woman. She continued to hide the fact that she was a woman from everyone. But this changed uh, rather sooner, sooner rather than later, because after a while, both Bonnie and Rackham ended up on the secret. And I'll tell you why. The story goes that Anne Bonnie was initially, initially she was fooled by Reed, pretending to be a man. I mean, she's had years and years of practice at it now, all of her soldiering and all of her piracy and all that sort of stuff. She's very, very adept at, uh, at you know, pretending to be a bloke here. And Bonnie's fooled by it, at, at least initially she is. And, and this leads to a, a very interesting, very amusing interaction between these two women. And uh, this interaction was written out in a book called A General History of the Pirates. That's pirates spelled with a Y, so you know it's a proper old-timey book, by a bloke named Charles Johnson. 
Johnson. And uh, while this book, it's, it's weathered a fair few accusations of embe- embellishment and sensationalism over the years, the passage dealing with this conversation between Bonnie and Reed is absolutely magical. And I'll read it, I'll read it for you now. <clears throat> Mary Reed's sex was not so much as suspected by any person on board, till Anne Bonney, who was not altogether so reserved in point of chastity, took a particular liking to her. In short, Anne Bonney took her for a handsome young fellow, and for reasons best known to herself, first discovered her sex to Mary Reed. Mary Reed, knowing what she would be at, and being sensible of her own incapacity that way, was forced to come to a right understanding with her, and so to the great disappointment of Anne Bonny, she let her know she was a woman also. So these two women, they're now well and truly aware of each other's secrets. They know, you know, they know the whole situation, what's going on there. But Rackham, I'll tell you this, you know, these two women, they're, they're going together, both, again, pretending to be blokes, having a great time, best mates, going around, having a chat, doing whatever else on the ship. But Rackham's not too pleased about it. He's not too pleased about Bonnie, the fact that Bonnie's going around with his other bloke all the time. And, uh, you know, he says to her, listen, mate, you know, love having you on the ship. Great to have, you know, your missus, secret missus here hanging around and, uh, and you know, knocking boots in the captain's cabin, whatever else. But not to, I mean, what's going on with you with this other bloke who's just joined us here? Not to, you know, what, what, just what's the whole situation there? Not, you know, not, too, not too happy with it. You seem to be getting on very, very well indeed. And so Bonnie turns to her and says, mate, listen, settle down. Settle down. I'll tell you something, all right? You know, a bit of a secret here, so you've got to keep this one to yourself. But she's a woman, all right? Just settle down, you know? What do you, what do you think's going on? Just just, just relax a little bit because her name's Mary Reed and she's, she's you know, solid as anything. She's a good, she's a good chick and just, just calm down a little bit, mate. So now the three of them, right, in on this secret, but doesn't really matter. Doesn't actually have too much effect on anything. They're, 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 the three of them and the rest of the crew, they're cruising around the Caribbean. They're attacking ships, capturing treasure, having a terrific time, causing all sorts of havoc. And uh, generally just living the high life of pirates, uh, even with, you know, these two hidden women on board there, it's uh, it's not stopping them from going and, uh, and, and piling together all the loot and all the plunder and all the rest of it. At one point, however, Bonnie gets pregnant. And so uh, after realising after realizing this, the, uh, Rackham orders the ship, they turn them around, they, they sail to Cuba for her to give birth. And... Uh, uh, they do this, and uh, the, the child is either left there in Cuba with Rackham's family, or they just abandon it. I wasn't sure about that, and you know, you bloody hope the kid wasn't just going to be sort of left left to its own devices. There, it's a pretty pretty dark thing to have done there. So, you know, hopefully, if if things went well, the the kid was left under the care of Rackham's uh, extended family there. And but it doesn't matter because after a while, uh, they get right back to it. They get stuck back into piracy. They're they're cruising around Jamaica for quite some time. Again, all the all the pillaging, all the uh, all the capturing of ships and and the booty and the loot and whatever else there like that and uh, it's during this time that there, there are quite a few indications that the rest of the crew they start to slowly figure out that reed and bonnie were women um although it didn't change all that much to be honest <laughs> both reed and bonnie uh, had fearsome reputations for violence and brutality and no one really wanted to cross them apparently they'd, they'd still go around dressed you know dressing like men and they'd also swear and curse like we're the best of them there they'd be at the forefront of every battle they're chopping their enemies to bits and uh, you know well and truly justifying their terrifying reputations there and some of the people who survived encounters with both mary reed and Anne bonnie went on to talk about just how fearsome and just how you know terrifying these uh, these women were as pirates even though it was at a time when women really struggled for any kind of, you know, societal recognition or, or status within uh, within society more broadly. So obviously they're, they're doing a pretty bloody good job as pirates there. There's a story actually about, you know, just to sort of, you know, illustrate this point of them both being pretty bloody brutal here, pretty fierce. And there's a story about Reed um, where she uh, she took a liking, a bit of a liking to the ship's carpenter. And, uh, you know, these two are, you know, having a, having a good time together, doing whatever else, part, sort of partnered off there. But this bloke, this carpenter, he gets into a bit of a scrap with one of the other pirates on the ship. 
And so according to the articles, according to the, some of the rules of the Pirates Code that they're under, the, uh, the way that they're going to settle it is by the next time they go to land, they're going to go out on the shore and they're going to settle it with a duel, with swords and pistols. They're, and you know, they're going to do the whole pacing, you know, stand back to back, pace off and, and then turn around and whoever draws first blood is going to be the victor. But Reed, right, she doesn't want her uh, her mate she doesn't want the carpenter here to uh, to go into this duel because he's she's worried that he'll he'll get injured or, or worse killed right and so she says listen mate bad news for you i'm forbidding you for being, for taking part in this duel you're not going to do it i'm very sorry about it but you i'm just not going to let you uh, take part of this duel because i you know i don't want you to, i don't want you to lose and he goes well, what am i going to do i can't you know i can't i have to i have to face up against this bloke we've had this we've had this tiff i can't just cancel the duel it's not gonna, and she's like, oh no 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 don't worry about that no no you don't have to cancel it, mate i'm going to fight it for you right so she keeps her sweet carpenter boy safe, right, safe and sound, by uh, heading out onto the shore where the, where this jewel is going to be. There, the other pirates. He's got his cutlass. He's got his he's got his pistol. He's ready to make mincemeat of uh, of uh, of his opponent here. But of course, when Mary Reed jumps down off the ship onto the beach there and gets ready to pace out the jewel, he starts to crap his dax because he knows who he's up against here. She's going to tear him to bits, and sure enough, she does. Sword and pistol at the ready. She uh, she uh, hacks him down and, and kills him promptly, just like that. And so again, her uh, her sweet carpenter boy is uh, is safe is safe from the uh, from this duel there, but. As I said at the beginning, all good things must come to an end, and uh, and the salad days that these three enjoyed, uh, cruising around the Caribbean, plundering treasure, fighting other pirates, generally causing all sorts of trouble, uh, these days, they weren't to last, because in August 1720, the trio, they brazenly captured an English sloop, sloop named William from, uh, from Nassau Harbour, and this forced old mate Governor Rogers to, uh, to take some real action. He declares them wanted as enemies of the Crown of Great Britain, and uh, all of a sudden, their their names and likenesses are plastered everywhere. Wanton, you know, big big reward for their capture. A famous pirate hunter named Jonathan Barnett was sent after the three of them to recapture the the ship, the, the William, the sloop, and to bring these uh, these uh, these pirates to justice. And so he starts to track them down down like a bloody like a like a bloodhound. He does. He's quickly investigating where they might have got to, where they've gone, what they're doing, who they're hanging out with. And it turns out where they got to, in fact, was Negril Point in uh, in Jamaica. And it's there, Reed, Bonnie, and Rackham. They meet another gang of pirates, and they decide to have a good old party, big, big old party aboard the sh- uh, aboard this stolen ship to celebrate uh, whatever else and have a great time. So they get the rum out, they break out the drinks and the booze and whatever else, and they're all getting nice and sloshed. And it's while Rackham's crew were all pissed as chooks that Barnett finally caught up with them. He attacked Rackham's crew, and with most of the pirates aboard this stolen ship drunk as skunks, they weren't in any shape to fight. According to Johnson's General History of the Pirates, with a Y, uh, only three of Rackham's crew tried to fight Barnett off. Bonnie, Reed, and one other bloke who was brave enough to get up and about. We don't know his name. Now, obviously, you know, these three leading the defence against Barnett, they're doomed. They're doomed from the outset. The pirate hunters have attacked. They've got, you know, superior guns, superior weaponry and superior numbers. But that didn't stop our mates from doing a fair bit of bloody damage. And not just to the pirate hunters either. Apparently, Mary Reed, she was so angry with her drunken crewmates that she fired her pistol into the hold where they're all sleeping off the booze. She killed one of her crewmates and injured a bunch of others, you know, trying to teach them a lesson about you know, not having got up and, and fought for the ship there. But, uh, you know, despite all this, Barnett and his crew, obviously, they win the fight. They win the fight. They despite, just, despite Reed and Bonnie, you know, fighting to the, fighting to the last there, despite their best efforts, uh, Rackham ends up coming up and surrendering the ship's when he, ship when he realises that all is lost. Now, this didn't go over well with, uh, with Reed and Bonnie, as we'll discuss a little bit later on here, but... Uh, 
Anyway, no matter how you slice it, that is the end of the, uh, the, the, the piracy career for these three because Barnett took, takes Rackham and his crew back to Spanish Town in November 1720 and uh, immediately they're all, uh, they're all put on trial for piracy. And the trials, they didn't go too well, as you might expect, didn't go too well for our pirate friends. All of them are convicted and sentenced to death. Poor old Calico Jack Rackham, he is hanged on the 18th of November 1720 after his trial has concluded and his body, which was very common at the time, was hung in a gibbet after his death or a gibbet. Man, I remember having said this word in a different episode and I can't remember what I landed on. Anyway, a gibbet or a gibbet, uh, a little cage specially built for, a, uh, for, the, for, the, for the body of, of someone to be displayed you know, as a warning after, after it's been killed and, and, and uh, Calico Jack's body uh, hangs there for, for you know, quite some time after his death. But both Reed and Bonnie, despite having been sentenced to death, neither of them ended up being executed, and I'll tell you why. Both of them, at this stage, after the trial, after they've been convicted and been sentenced there, both of them were pregnant. And so they, uh, they, they pled the belly, as it was called. There, there was a law that prohibited pregnant women from being executed until after their, if they were pregnant, after their baby was born. And, uh, and so as a result of this, both of them had their sentences delayed and, uh, and they both of them were locked up in prison to wait for their, for their children to be born. But as I say, neither of them ended up hanging. Neither ended up hanging because Reed died while in prison of a terrible fever in April 1721 and so ultimately was never executed. And there's no record of her baby having been born either. And with all the burial records and everything else, it doesn't seem she actually even brought the child to term. So she died before she was able to give birth there, unfortunately. And Anne Bonney, on the other hand, disappeared off the face of the earth. Her fate isn't known to history. We don't know what happened to her. It's almost certain she was never executed because there's no record There's no record of her have, ever having been executed or hanged there like that. And there's no record of her death in prison either. She definitely gave birth to her child, but then she just vanished. She just vanished. We've only got speculation as to what actually finally happened to her. She may have been ransomed by her rich father who may have found out that, you know, his daughter had been in prison in this way. Or she may have just gone back to her old husband, uh, you know, in Nassau there. We don't know. Or better yet, better yet, my favourite theory, she may have just escaped and gone back to piracy, gone back to the high seas there under a different name. But at the end of the day, we just don't know. But what we do know, however, we do know that Calico Jack Rackham and Bonnie and Mary Reed lived lives of great adventure as pirates on the high seas, and that Bonnie and Reed in particular were amongst the most fearsome and brutal pirates ever to set sail. And this, I think more than anything else, is demonstrated pretty bloody clearly by Anne Bonnie's last words to Calico Jack when rebuking her lover for his cowardice after being captured. This is what she said. She said, Had you fought like a man, you need not have been hanged like a dog. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Calico Jack and Bonnie and Mary Reed, a good old, old-fashioned old pirate yarn for everyone this week, so I do hope you enjoyed it, got something out of it. We're going to close out the show with all the normal boring housekeeping stuff. Uh, you, as usual, halfhousehistory.net, the website for the podcast, so you can find all the old episodes. And you can, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or on uh, Spotify. I've noticed a couple of people have been kind enough to leave me very, very, very generously uh, generous reviews on iTunes. So if you want to do the same thing as them, I'm certainly very 
very happy to see people uh, kicking in some feedback. But if you want to contact me directly, uh, you can do it uh, through the website. Best place to do it through the website. Uh, there's a contact form there. You can send me through any you know ideas you've got for shows, or if you want me to send you some free half hour history stickers, I'll certainly do that. Just send me your real life address, and I'll send them through to you free of charge. I'm a little bit behind with sending them out. I've had a lot going on at the moment, but uh, I'll try to get to it pretty soon. And you know, again, there's usually a bit of a delay, and uh, but they'll get there eventually. I promise you that. Anyway. Uh, apart from that, I think that's just about this. That just about that. Uh, thanks, a special thanks going out to all of the Patreon people, uh, patron members, people support the Patreon supporting me on, on on Patreon. You can do that as well. There's a link on the website there if you if you want to chuckle a couple a couple of bucks at me every week, every oh, every month. I, I certainly I can't say much. I appreciate it. it means the world to me. And uh, thank you to the people who have sent me um, emails saying what the show means to them and and you know what they do when they're listening to it and, and all that sort of stuff. It, it it really is just so flattering to to know that people are enjoying this silly podcast. So so thanks so very much for, for all of the feedback and all the support. Anyway, that's enough of that. Once again, for this week, we are going to uh, to close out the show with a, a question posed on Reddit. And we've talked a lot about pirates this week, obviously. And I'm hoping to do more pirate episodes in the future. But uh, for now, we're going to leave with a, lead you with a, uh, a question posed on, on Reddit by Reddit historian The Hoser Laughing, a pirate-based question here. And uh, The Hoser Laughing wants to know, when did pirates switch from stealing golden booty to stealing movies, shows, and music?